All right. Uh, thank you very much for coming. It's wonderful to see you. Especially thank you for braving the elements tonight. Also, I want to thank uh, Marcy for, number one, the idea, number two, for planning it, and number three, for doing almost all of the work. So, yay, Marcy, thank you very much. The oldest Torah scroll in existence in the world, the oldest complete Torah scroll in existence in the world today, is from about the year 1270. And the details about how a Torah scroll are written are meant to ensure that it should be able to last for not only centuries, but even thousands of years under ideal conditions. The type of parchment, the type of ink, the way that it's written, the way that it's stored. (coughs) And the reason that's so important is because perhaps the most fundamental belief that we have is that the Torah that we have, the five books of Moses, the Torah that we have, comes directly from God, given by God to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, and then ultimately written down by Moshe during the 40 years in the desert. So that by the end of the 40 years in the desert, when the Jews entered the land of Israel, the the five books of Moses, the Torah scroll that we have today, that is what they had. Word for word, letter for letter, no changes. And the proof of that is that you can look at any Torah scroll anywhere in the world, from any community, in any era, any century, and they're all identical. Now, I just want to be precise. In fact, there is one discrepancy. There is one word, the word Daka, and it's three letters, Dalid, Kuf, and then there's a discrepancy. Some Torah scrolls have a hey at the end. Some Torah scrolls have an aleph at the end. It's a discrepancy. Besides that one letter of that one word, there is no discrepancy in any Torah scroll anywhere in the world. What is the significance of that word? I was going to say, and why is the discrepancy? It's a dispute over how to spell the word. It's not a a difference in the sound. It's only a difference in the silent final letter. But I just want to be... I don't want to represent something that's not completely accurate, but there is a feature that you may notice in a printed Torah or a Chumash that is often misunderstood, and it is called Kriksiv. Kriksiv means the way it's it's pronounced, the way it's written. There are words in the Torah... Uh, a bunch of them, dozens, in different parts of the Torah, where the text will indicate that the letters are spelled out for one word, but we read it as if it had different letters, so we're actually reading a different word. Now, a lot of people see that, and they think that it means that there is a discrepancy over the text. It looks like, if you just look at it, it looks like there's some question about what the text is. That's not true. That is actually a method of interpretation where a word has a double entendre, a double meaning. That is, it's a type of commentary. 
We have one word, and we're going to read it differently, not because we have a question about what the word is, but because by reading it differently, we're going to give two meanings to the same word at the same time. So it's actually, it's not really about the text. The text is clear. It's more about the interpretation. We interpret it as if it has two separate meanings. And what I'm going to show you tonight is a passage that has several examples of this phenomenon and it represents it in a very dramatic fashion and that's what I want to show you tonight and that's what I want to work with you on tonight. Tonight, I'd like to study together the third chapter of the book of Ruth. So, let me just set up the narrative of what we're up to. Ruth is this young woman from Moab. Moab is a nation that's now in Jordan, the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Uh, It was a nation that was actually an enemy of the Jewish people at the time. This is very early in Jewish history. This is uh, maybe 300 years after the Jewish people entered the land of Israel. And um, there is um, Naomi, who comes from this city called Bethlehem, Bethlehem, and her husband Elimelech, and they have two sons, and there's a famine, they leave home, they go to Moab, the sons marry women from Moab, and uh, the sons, the husband dies, the sons die, one of the wives stays there. Ruth comes back, she converts to Judaism, she was non-Jewish, she was from Moab, she converts to Judaism, she comes back with Naomi, so it's Naomi, this elderly woman, who was a very wealthy and aristocratic and important woman when she left, and now she's coming back, no family, no possessions, penniless, humiliated because her husband was the leader and kind of ran away when there was trouble, and so she comes back penniless and humiliated and having to start over. And she comes back with this young woman, Ruth, who was, I guess you'd say, her former daughter-in-law. That is, when her son was alive, it was her daughter-in-law. And she's this woman from this uh, alien nation who is now converted to Judaism. So these two women come back. And they uh, need to survive. They don't have anything. They have no possessions. They have no, they have no source of income. And uh, there is a, uh, a mitzvah in the Torah, which we dis- discussed the last time that we met together. It's a mitzvah called peah, which means that uh, if an owner of a field, when he harvests his crop, he's required to leave part of the field unharvested, the corners. Peah means corner. The corners of the field unharvested. And he's required to allow anyone to come in and harvest for themselves, the idea being that those who are poor and don't have their own source of income, they can go to someone else's field, a portion of the field is left for them to be able to harvest, they're able to do it in a way that gives them dignity, they're not receiving a handout, they're actually doing the same work as the workers are doing, and this is a, um, it's a mitzvah in the Torah, and it is a, a system of how society in Israel in former times would take care of those who were in need. And so when uh, Naomi comes back, she says to Ruth, uh, that's what we have to do. Go to a field 
and it's the harvest time and you'll be able to collect and you'll bring some home and we'll survive. It turns out that Ruth goes to the field of a man named Boaz who, it just so happens, is a cousin of Naomi. Unbeknownst to Ruth. Ruth doesn't know who it is. She doesn't know anybody. But she goes there and... um, Boaz takes an interest in her, uh, notices that she's not from around there, that she's a new person, which maybe was not so common in that time, in those times, in a city like Bethlehem. And um, okay, and she comes back home. Ruth, Ruth comes back home, and she tells that her her Naomi what she's been doing and where she's been, and. Now, Naomi is going to make a suggestion to Ruth. It is a very bold suggestion. It's quite a curious suggestion. But let's take a look at what Ruth said, what Naomi says. So I'm on the first page of the booklet where it says chapter 3, verse 1. On the, on the left-hand side, you see the words in the, in the, in the margin, Naomi's plan. So I'm not going to read every single word, but take a look, and I want you to take these booklets home with you. So Naomi says to Ruth, listen, we need to work out something that we're going to be provided for, that you're going to be provided for. So here's what I want you to do. Boaz, that's the name of this man who owned the field where Ruth was collecting in his field. Boaz is going to be in his field tonight. Because the reason for this is because when the harvest would take place, you need watchmen because somebody could come and steal as you're harvesting before you get it locked up. So during the harvest, it would be common for the owner and maybe some of the workers to actually sleep out in the field to make sure that no one took anything. So now's the time of the harvest, she says to Ruth. Boaz is going to be spending the night outside in the field Here's what I want you to do. Verse 3. I want you to bathe and anoint yourself and get dressed up and dress nicely and make yourself as attractive as possible. And I want you to go down to the field in the middle of the night. And don't approach him right away. Wait until he's eaten and he's had to drink and he's laid down to go to sleep in this field in the middle of the night. And then, when he lies down, go over to where he is, on verse number four, near the bottom of the page, uncover his feet, and lie down next to him. And he will tell you what to do. That's all you have to do. All you have to do is go at the right time, lie down next to him, and uncover his feet, I'll explain that in a minute. And that's it. He'll take it from there. Now, before we go any further, I just want to point out to you, if you look at the Hebrew side, so if you're able to redefine, if not, you'll have to take my word for it, but I'm, but I'm telling the truth. Each of the words that is a verb is written in the form of a creek sieve 
For example, one, two, three, four lines before the bottom of the page, the first word on the line, if you read the letters in the text, it says, Viaraditi. But the way that it's read is Viaradit. So the text says Viaraditi, but it's read Viaradit. The difference is like this. Viaradit means, and you should go down to the field. Viaradity means, and I should go down to the field. What, what's going on? Why, why, what's the double entendre? Ruth is speaking, Naomi is speaking to Ruth. Why is there a double entendre in the language? Because, because, Ruth, because Naomi is speaking as if she's going to go. Right? She's putting herself, it's as if she's going to go, but she's not the one that's going to go, it's going to be Ruth that's going to go. But there is this ambiguity about the identity. Everything that she is telling Ruth to do, she's really saying, I should be doing. But I'm not the one that's actually going to do it physically. Ruth, you're the one that's going to do it for me. I just want to point out to you the way that this technique works where you have this double meaning within the text in the way a word is written and then and and read to, to give you two different things. Yes. Is it always yes. And that is every time this happens, you need to have some explanation of what is the double meaning that's going on. And usually it's not so hard to figure out. Because it's more rich, from a literary point of view, it's more rich when one word conveys two meanings. It's subtle. It's as if there is a uh, visual and an audible layer of meaning. You look at it one way, and you hear it a different way, and it gives you two layers at the same time. Before we go further, let me just go back to verse number two. Verse two. Now, Boaz, our relative. Now, why is it important that Naomi tells Ruth that Boaz is a relative? Well, maybe she feels that she'll have a, a better advantage over the other maidens um, if she presents herself to him. Okay, all right, good. Okay. He's a relative, he's not. Okay. But, but let's put it within the context of the mitzvahs of the Torah. I'm absolutely agreeing with you. What? Well, well, actually... Is she, is she also teaching her? What? Well, let, 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 let's talk about the last time we met. Not everybody was together. But we're gonna, that's why we're going to review it. We talked about two separate mitzvahs. We're not going to go through the whole thing right now, but just to allude to it. One was a mitzvah of yibum. Yibum means like this. Yibu means lever at marriage. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. If a man and a woman are married and they do not have any children and the man dies, the husband dies, then if the, the, the widow, if the husband has a brother, then the widow and the brother-in-law are allowed to marry if they want to. It's, it's got to be voluntary. If they both want to. And... As I discussed last time, the right that's that's a, another part of it, right? It, if they want to, and 
one of the ideas, there are several different layers to that mitzvah, but one of them is, it's a way of taking care of a woman who is no longer part of her father's house because she got married, is not really part of her husband's house because she did not have any children that connects her to her husband's family. And so potentially she's a woman that is vulnerable. And here is a way for a brother-in-law to be able to take care of his brother's widow if she wants and if she is in need. And we talked about the way in which that mitzvah strictly only applies to an actual brother, but the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law might apply to another relative, like an uncle or a cousin. So it, Naomi is pointing out that Boaz might feel a, uh, um, um, a desire to want to be together with Ruth in order to be able to take care of her based on this mitzvah. Based on this mitzvah. Because it's, he's family. And because he's family, yeah. right. And the other part of it is, this is the other subject that we studied last time, and that is the mitzvah of the redemption of property. So we learned there's another mitzvah in the Torah that goes like this. person owns property in, in the land of Israel and they were forced to sell the property because of poverty. Once, if you, if you live in an agricultural society, the only way you have to support yourself is through, uh, through agriculture. I mean, that's, that's what it is. So if you have to sell that, it might give you some short-term capital, but you don't have a way to support yourself in the future. So uh, there is a mitzvah. First of all, if you're able to buy back the field within a certain amount of time, the buyer is required to sell it back to you. But the same thing applies to a relative. There is this mitzvah for a relative to come along and say, I want to buy back that field to return it to my relative's property. And the buyer is required to sell it back for the same price, to sell it back to the relative in order to return it to the original owner within a certain amount of time. That's a mitzvah of redemption of property. So two things are going on. One has to do with Ruth being able to, to find a husband. And the other has to do with Naomi being able to have her property returned to her. That if Boaz would agree to redeem the property because she owned property and it had been sold off to satisfy whatever debts there were because they left and there were debts and their property was sold off. But, Boaz, but a relative would have the opportunity to buy it back. So Ruth, Naomi is, is uh, creating the association of these two mitzvot in the Torah which are part of the structure of how the Torah has a society work in order to be able to take care of people so that they do not get into a cycle of poverty. If a person becomes impoverished, there's a way to be able to get out of it. There, these are, these are the, the mechanisms of uh, social uh, um, providing for a social uh, uh, network that can help a person in a time of need. So that's what, that's what Naomi is talking about. Look at the top of the page. I'm on the second page of the booklet. 
So Ruth listens, and she does everything that Naomi suggests that she does. She goes down to the field, she waits until it's in the middle of the night, and verse number eight, in the middle of the night, the man was startled and turned about, and there was a woman lying at his feet. So, you know, uh, it's interesting that these are mitzvahs in the Torah, the mitzvah of peah, the mitzvah of yibum, the mitzvah of redemption of property, but, but it starts through romance. That, that's, that's how it's starting. That's, that's what the story is about. Now look at verse 9. Vayomer miat, he says to her, who are you? And she answered him, I am your maidservant Ruth. He had only met her very briefly. He didn't know her well, but he recognized her name. I'm Ruth. And she says to him, I want to read the Hebrew, Ufarasta kanafecha alamasacha kigoelata. Spread your robe over your handmaid. Spread your robe over me, for you are a redeemer. In other words, I want you to see how this, how this works. The, she does a literal action in order to evoke a metaphoric response. That is, the reason that she uncovers his legs and lies down next to him, so she says to him, I'm asking you to cover me up, to take care of me, to provide for me. And she's using this metaphor of, of covering and providing, but it's a metaphor that's based on this physical act of lying next to each other and he has been uncovered, his legs have been uncovered. And that's what she says to him. It's a pretty, uh, it's a bold thing to do. It's a bold thing to do. Now, listen to the response. Verse number 10. Vayomer, and he says to her, Brucha at Lashem biti. Hashem should bless you, my daughter. Because heitavt chastecha charom min arisham. This latest act of kindness is even greater than your first act of kindness. Because now you are not going after the younger men, be they poor or rich. You've chosen me. I'm an older man. I'm an older man. And yes, it is true. I mean, you could look at it in a very uh, superficial way and say she just wants to go after a rich guy. But the truth is, he, he is saying to her, I'm not, this is not my comment, this is Boaz saying, Boaz is saying, Listen, you could have any man that you want, rich, poor, but you could have someone young. Why are you interested in me? So Boaz takes it as a kindness that he is doing, that she is doing to him. And, of course, 
it's going to be reciprocated. She's looking for a kindness that he's going to do for her and for Naomi. But listen to the, to the layers. What was the first kindness? Right? Boaz says to her, this kindness is even greater than your first kindness. The first kindness is that Ruth came back with Naomi. She did not desert Naomi. Naomi was all alone in the world. She, she left home with a husband and two sons. Now she's all alone. Her other daughter-in-law left. So Ruth decides, I don't know what part of it was based on Naomi, part of it was based on wanting to be Jewish because she converted to Judaism. But it, it was connected to wanting to be together with Naomi and to take care of her. And as we already saw before, Ruth is the one that is going out and supporting Naomi. She's the one, literally, that is finding this food to keep them alive. So Ruth has really, she's a young woman. The, the commentators, it's not within the text of the narrative itself, but the commentators point out she was actually a princess in Moab. She was a, an extremely important person. She, she could have done anything with her life. And she decides to come back to uh, uh, a very difficult prospects of life in in Israel with with Naomi, and but she wants to be with Naomi. She wants to take care of Naomi, and she connects herself to Naomi. That's an amazing act of loyalty and and kindness. And and now and now Boaz is pointing out that is one thing. And now that you want to be associated with me and not any of the other young men that you could have chosen, that is an even greater kindness that you were doing. And he says, you should be blessed by God for the kindness that you're doing. This is not, this is not the, the editor ascribing kindness to her. This is Boaz's response. Okay? So, so Boaz is responding and saying, listen, she's a young the commentators say she was very beautiful. She could have any man that she wanted. And yet she wanted to be associated with this man. We understand it's because he was a very important man, a very uh, uh, a leader of his community. And she wanted to be associated with this great man rather than any of the other people her age. So it was a kindness in the sense that she wanted to be associated with him for altruistic reasons, when she could have pursued any other man but there. I guess the important thing is he sees it as a kindness. That's the it point. No, no, no. The, the point is that's, how, that's his response. That's his response. Yeah. I understand what you're coming from. No, there are other ways to look at it. There are other ways that you can look at it, but the, 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 the narrative is telling us what Boaz's response is. Now, look at the next passage. Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11. The Atabiti, and now my daughter, do not fear. Whatever you say, I will do for you. For all the men in the gate of my people know that you are a worthy woman. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing. That he doesn't know her. He had met her when she came to his field, but he is able to say to her that she has a reputation. You, Everyone knows that you are this worthy person. Another one of the very important lessons that we are supposed to learn is 
look at the esteem that she has in his eyes. And remember, she's a ger, she's a convert. Not only a convert, but a convert from a nation that was an enemy of the Jewish people. You see, you know, it's one thing for the Torah to say. The Torah says this repeatedly. Don't mistreat the convert. Don't mistreat a person. You should love a convert. You should respect them. That's nice to say. But it's also important to see, is it actually being lived? Are people actually living up to it? You see here in this statement the way in which it was common knowledge within this town that this is a woman worthy of respect and admiration. And I want to point this out to you because this, this, in my opinion, is incredible. So you don't see it on the English side. You have to look on the Hebrew side. But I'm going to translate it and I'm going to read it for you. Verse number 11. Don't be afraid. Everything that you said I'm going to do. Ki yodea kol shar ami. Because it is well known in the gates of the, our people, meaning everyone in our town knows, ki eishes chayot, that you are an eishes chayot. The phrase eishes chayot comes from here. The phrase eishes chayot is a very complicated phrase. Eishes means wife, woman, wife. Chayot is a word that means warrior or soldier. So if you try to figure out what does that phrase mean, Eishes Chayel, so, you know, we have this popular translation, a woman of valor. I don't know if anybody's really thinking about what those words mean. Valor is uh, a quality that is associated with a, a warrior, a soldier. A soldier has valor. So how can we always sing that song every Shabbos? So hold on, well, that's, that's what I'm getting to. Oh, so okay. That's what I'm getting to. So, so, Eishas Chayil, the word, the two words don't seem to, 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 to be a phrase. I have a friend who translated it by saying Eishas Chayil is a warrior nurturer. Meaning a nurturer, but a person who nurtures a woman, a wife, a mother, who, who nurtures, who takes care, but doesn't do so from a position of weakness or standing back or being quiet or being reserved, but who is forceful, who is strong, who is bold. There is a boldness. And you really see that in Ruth. That is exactly what Ruth is doing. Ruth is, she is a woman. She will be a wife and she will be a mother. That's, gonna, that, that's coming in the story. But she is not just, you know, staying at home and being quiet and, and, and sitting alone and staying, you know, reserved. She's, she's out there. I mean, literally and figuratively. She is bold. She is a... She is proactive. She is forward. And, and there could not be a better phrase to describe Ruth. That's really what she is. But here's the amazing thing. A couple
couple of hundred years later, a hundred, a hundred and fifty years later, Shlomo Hamela, King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was Ruth's great-great-grandson. Shlomo Solomon writes a book called Mishlei, Proverbs. He wrote some other books also. And one of the chapters of this book of Mishlei is this poem, which is a poem of praise to a Jewish woman. And he starts it with these words, Eishas Chayel, but this is where he gets it from. He gets it from that his great-great-grandmother was called an Eishas Chayel by Boaz. And he borrows that phrase as the central, um, most precise phrase to talk about what a Jewish woman is. That's the role model. That's the characteristic. And if you read Aisha's Kyle, the poem that we sing on Friday nights, that woman also, she's not a quiet and stay at home and not involved and you don't see her and cover it up. No, she's, she's taking care of the home and she's going to work and she's known. and she's in the dark darning his socks. I don't know about darning. She's uh, earning a living. She's providing. She's doing. She's involved. She is active. And and that that character, which all of us have come to associate over centuries with what it means to be an authentic Jewish woman, that comes from Ruth. So when you want to talk about the role that this woman, Ruth, has within Jewish thought and Jewish history and Jewish life, she is literally the role model that all of us have grown up thinking about the ideal Jewish woman. And it comes from this book. There's just a technical detail in verse number 12. The technical detail goes like this. The opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibum and to fulfill the mitzvah of redeeming property it could be done by anybody. Anybody. A stranger could do it. But the opportunity is to the closest relative. So Boaz says to her, listen, I'm willing to take care of you, but there is a closer relative. And I've got to check with that person to give that person the opportunity. Because it's a mitzvah. And you can't take a mitzvah away from someone. You see a, a level of menschlichkeit in, in Boaz. Yeah, I could do it, but there's someone else, and, and they're first in line, and I want to give them the opportunity. And so he says, so he says, stay here for the rest of the night, go home early in the morning, and... Um, He gives her some food to take home to Naomi. And um, and she comes home. What happens to her reputation after she stays with him? Actually, it's interesting that you say that because he says to her, I want you to go back 
while it's still dark. Commentators point out that's why he says that. Go back while it's still dark because he's worried. Right, because he's worried about her reputation, which he does. He doesn't want her to to suffer to her reputation. Now, she comes back and she tells Naomi everything that happened. And here, I want to I want to finish with this because I have to tell you this is something that is very, very important. It's very important to me personally. This is the mark of true greatness. In in my opinion, you want to know what kind of a man Boaz is. The story is about Ruth. It's about Naomi. It's also about Boaz. So here's here's the, 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 the description of the greatness of Boaz. And I think that this is the the essential part of what makes a person great. And it's something that is just so moving to me. So she comes back home. She tells Naomi everything that happened. And look at the bottom Pasuk, Pasuk number 18. Batomer. And Naomi says to Ruth, she says, Shvibiti, sit patiently, my daughter. Until you find out what's going to happen. It'll be later today because it was the middle of the night. So he's going to go to this other person to see if he wants to do the mitzvah. And if not, he's going to do it himself. So Ruth, for now, just be patient. Wait and see what happens. Hear the words. Because that man will not rest until he finishes the job today. Mark of greatness. Mark of greatness is when a man says, a person, man or woman, says, I'm going to take care of it. You can, you can stand down. You don't have to do anything else because you can be assured that he will do it. He will do what he says. You don't have to call him back. You don't have to remind him. You don't have to put her on your own calendar to check back with him. He says he's going to do it. That's it. You can consider it done. A person whose word is so trusted, whose integrity is so great that Naomi can say to Ruth, you don't have to worry anymore. That's it. All you had to do, you did what you had to do. All you had to do was go down there at the right time and lay down and he took it from there. He understood what was needed. He committed himself to doing it. And you can rest assured, he will not rest. He will not go to sleep again until this matter is settled. The greatness of a man of integrity, a man of his words. That is a, a quality that, I, in, in my mind, I consider that perhaps the ultimate tribute that you could ever ascribe to a person, that you just know they're going to commit to the right thing, and when they commit to it, they're going to do it. Nothing else has to be said. And that's what Naomi knows about Boaz. I think it's remarkable. It's, um, it's a little racy. It's a little, you know, it's a little bold. It's, 
It's quite forward, but that's what the story is. And that's, that's the personality of Ruth, and that's the place that she holds within Jewish history, Jewish thought, Jewish life.